In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire." Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thank you, Lord. You gave everyone false hope when you just said 317. They're like, oh yeah, short today. I got bad news for you guys. The clock that's usually back there telling me what time to be done, it's not working today. There is no clock, and there are 17 verses. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, this day we come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, this is our prayer. Please allow everyone in this room to feel the power of your spirit, to know that you are real, to know that we need relationship with you, and to be willing to lay everything aside to walk with you. Lord, would you do that? This is what we need. This is what we all need. Those of us who are so far from you, we're ashamed to be here. We need that work. Those of us who are filled with confidence in our own righteousness, we need that work from you. And those of us who are broken, and hurting, and eager for your work. We need that work from you. So Lord, would you show us you're real? Would you convince us we need you? And would you cause us to be willing to lay all things aside for the glory of your name? Lord, we do pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 3. 
Um, at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Matthew. And today's sermon looks at this passage that is very common to us. It's a story about a man named John the Baptist. It's a story about God's work to reveal the nature of Jesus to the world. It's very, very common. But I think one reality about this very common story that we fail to notice and we fail to remember is that the ministry of John the Baptist was repent. It was prepare for the coming kingdom. But the ministry of John the Baptist was not to the pagans. It wasn't to those who were um, externally vehemently opposed to the idea of Yahweh or didn't know of Yahweh, John's ministry was to the religious. But his message was one of repentance. And so what we see today in John chapter 3 is in the kingdom of Jesus, religious identification is not the measuring stick. Commitment to the king is. And when I say religious identification, I'm talking about like the card that we would carry to identify ourselves. Religious identification is not the measuring stick. Commitment to Jesus is. That's why John is out in the wilderness calling upon Jewish people to repent Because the kingdom's coming. He's saying, you're not ready for the king. Yes, you're a Jew. Yes, you're a child of Abraham. But you're not ready for the king. So maybe the question for us today, right out of the gate, am I ready for the king? Are we ready for the king? I think the story about John will help us wrestle with that question. So if you want to take notes this morning, the first point is message of repentance. So John chapter 3, we're going to see there's a message of John's ministry. And then we're going to see there's a purpose of John's ministry. So first, message of repentance. What's the message of this ministry of John. So it begins, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So John is a figure called the Baptist because he's baptizing people in the Jordan River and he's out in the wilderness, most likely south of Jerusalem, preaching. Now Matthew's birth account doesn't tell us much about John, but Luke's does. So if you wanted to lean into and and search out more reality about John, look at Luke chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We're told here simply, John is in the wilderness preaching. We're told that people are going out to him 
They're confessing their sins and they're being baptized in the Jordan River. We're told that John was a strange man. He wore garments of camel's hair and his food was locusts and honey. And yet out there in the wilderness, the people are coming. And John had been to a Dale Carnegie course to learn the effective means to win friends and influence people because his message was this. Repent! You, sinner, turn around and repent because the king's coming and you're not ready. Oh, I see you brought your religious leaders today. Well, they're a brood of vipers. They're misleading you. And we're told that people are hearing this message and they're responding and they are repenting and they are being baptized. So John, we might say, in spite of all the external realities that would have made him ineffective, is being very effective in his ministry because the Lord put him in the place to carry out an important ministry. And so John's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's consider this message for a few minutes. First, repent. It's a good churchy word, right? Repent. Repent. What does that mean? Quite literally, the word repent means to change your direction. It means to change the direction in which you're going. Um, So if someone was called upon to drive to Louisville and they got on 65 South toward Huntsville, we might say you should repent. But that repentance isn't just, oh yeah, I'm going the wrong way. It involves getting off of I-65, getting back on going the other way, and beginning to go in the right direction. So in the biblical scope of the word repent, we're talking about for someone to change their way of life because of a change of thought and a change of attitude, particularly regarding sin and righteousness. Biblically speaking, and this is a quote, not from me, but from a smarter-than-I linguist who studies the words, repentance is to change your way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. So this message of repentance isn't about how to get to Louisville. It's not about how to make a good day's wage It's not about how to have a better family or to be a better Jew. This message of repentance is repenting from how you think of God, how you think of pleasing God, and how you live out what God has called you to. And John is saying, turn around because you're wrong. Change your life. Have a change of thought. Have a change of attitude. Have a change of of desire. So when the Bible speaks of repentance, it's talking about our thinking, 
our motives and our behaviors. Our thinking, our motives, and our behaviors. Now, often preachers like me will rightly stand up here and pound on pulpits and say, we're not just interested in behavior modification. That's true. But any real and lasting, enduring change of action will be rooted in a change of conviction, a change of thinking, a change of heart, and a change of desire. I mean, all those Old Testament prophecies where the Lord said, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, that just wasn't poetic metaphor. I mean, it was poetic metaphor, but it was the Lord saying, your central guiding system is broken, so I'm going to give you a new one. And with a new one, enlivened by my spirit, you'll live for my glory. So John's basically saying his message is change the way you live by changing what you think and changing what you believe and changing what you value. Now, lest you think I'm reading too much into one word, repent, let me show you how John unpacks this. It tells us in verse 6 that People were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. So this call of repentance results in, verse 6 tells us, confessing our sin. Verse 8, rebuking the religious leaders, John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which is the idea that true repentance does change the fruit that comes out of our lives. Do you see that there in verse 8? Verse 10. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The idea is that trees bear fruit in keeping with their root system. So if our lives, verse 10 says, continually bear the fruit of sin and rebellion and unrighteousness, then it's right to ask the question, what kind of tree am I? You may have planted an apple tree a decade ago, but if you go out there every year and get green pears, you got some questions to ask. It might not be an apple tree. So John's message is repent. And he's talking about sin. He's talking about righteousness. He's talking about relationship to God. And this is the connection. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's saying is the reason you should repent is because the king who is coming to establish God's rule on earth and carry out God's work on earth is at hand. He's, he's right before you. And you need to repent because you're not ready for the king. So what John is saying is your sin and rebellion, your absence of righteousness, your absence of walking with the Lord testifies to your unpreparedness to meet the king. 
it testifies to your need of spiritual renewal to enjoy the fruits of the kingdom. The work of the kingdom and the work of sin are always at odds. So John says, repent. Now, some of you are hearing that. You're like, Pastor, that right there is a good revival message. Just go preach that to the world. Tell them to repent. You should go to FCA over there at one of those government schools, and you should tell them that they need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what? That's true. The world needs to repent because the king's coming, and the world's not ready to meet the king. But friends, let's, let's be as biblicist as we say we are. John isn't talking to the world. He's talking to the religious people. And he's saying, I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you're a physical son of Abraham. I don't care if you're a Sadducee. I don't care if you're a Pharisee. Those were the religious leaders of the day. Your rebellion against God decries and declares that you're not ready for the king. It was Jewish people coming out to the wilderness to hear the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was the religious people coming out to the wilderness being told, you're not ready to meet the king, repent. And then they were being baptized as a sign of their repentance. To these very religious leaders, John looked at them and said, you're a brood of vipers, that's no compliment. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And by the way, No one believes the Pharisees and Sadducees came out there to repent. They came out there to observe and to critique and to see what the hubbub was all about. And John said, hey, since you've made a little trip out to the wilderness today, why don't you go ahead and repent because you're not ready for the king either. He goes right to the heart of it. We have Abraham as our father, they say. Good. That's great. You see those stones over there? God can declare them living beings committed to his ways, and they can be the true children of Abraham. Your descent doesn't make you prepared for the king. Turning away from rebellion, turning away from sin, and running to the king, eager for the ministry of the king, eager for the work of the king, knowing your need for the king, that is what prepares you for the kingdom. Man, I really want to keep going for a long time. But we're going to pause there. I just want you to hear this. Verse 12. Speaking of the king, when he comes, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John is effectively saying to the religious of the day, some of you are true children of God and some of you are not. How you respond to the king, 
how you respond to his work and his message, how you cling to your rebellion or you turn away from it, all of that will impact how he works and what his work means for you. So don't think because you come from the right family or you go to the right synagogue or you have the right Sadducee as your leader, don't think that you're ready to meet the king. So let's, let's pause and think about this teaching for a little bit. First, we have to ask the question, in what ways are we like the Jews? In what ways are we like the Jews? Don't lean into... This passage tells us not to lean into our spiritual lineage as our hope before God. This passage tells us not to lean into our spiritual lineage as our hope before God. Man, so much of our rhetoric in our country, really for the last hundred years, has been wrapped around which stream of the church do you belong to, which stream is correct and which stream is incorrect. And usually once we identify that we're right and they're wrong, then we put all these hard passages on them. Right? That's, that's, that's the comfortable way to do debate. It's not biblical, but it's comfortable. And I just think there are so many ways that we kind of put our spiritual chest out and pat ourselves on the back because we've got all the things right, which means we're right before God and right before the world. So whatever denomination you identify with, don't let that tradition be your hope before God. And I say that in vagueness because we got a lot of traditions piled up here at Redeemer. And I want to be equally applicatory across the board. Don't think that because we identify as evangelical or conservative that that inherently makes us right before God. Those things matter, but it's not the label that declares us acceptable. It's not the label that makes us ready to meet the king. Man, one of the things we celebrate here at Redeemer is that we have a youth group now. Like, we remember the day we had a youth. And that dear family, they stayed. They stayed. We have a youth group. So kids, hear this really clearly. The fact that you come to church every time the doors are open, the fact that you're a member of a church and a member of a youth group and some of you built this place with your own two hands, none of that makes you fit for the king or his kingdom. It's repentance married with faith, married with love and obedience that makes anyone, all us religious people as well, fit for the kingdom. The fact that you have one of those really comfortable Redeemer shirts 
doesn't make you fit for the kingdom. The fact that you have that really uncomfortable all polyester one, like a piece of unbreathable plastic that we gave you, that one doesn't make you fit for the kingdom either. You might lose some weight, but it doesn't make you fit for the kingdom. You know, this week, I noticed that my Redeemer um, bumper sticker had lost all of its color. And so, with a little guilt in me, I peeled it off my window. And I realized, that sticker didn't make me fit for the kingdom. I'll get another one so that I can look loyal to the church that I pastor. But it doesn't make me fit for the kingdom. Austin's mug of rememberable chocolates doesn't make you fit for the kingdom. I'm trying to be a little funny to take some of the edge off here, but serious question, guys. What's the ground for our hope before God? What's the thing that gives us confidence? Here's John's answer. True repentance, meaning turning away from sin, and true Seeing Jesus the King as the answer for my sin, my righteousness, my hope before God, and for all the world. That's the ground. That's the ground. So where are we clinging? And if this sermon's getting a little uncomfortable, um, that's okay. I have a job to talk with you about your discomfort. We have seven other elders and two other staff pastors who exist to help you navigate this discomfort. And we would be overjoyed to do so. Because if you don't call and ask us to talk about your spiritual discomfort, then we have to wrestle with logistics and where to put people in parking lots. So please call. Seriously. However the Spirit of the Lord might be pricking you today, don't don't blindly turn away, but, but lean into that. Lean into that. A second takeaway for us from this message of repentance is don't belittle the importance of fruit. Don't belittle the importance of fruit. Because John's not belittling the importance of fruit. What John's saying is, the the words that come out of your mouth betray your thinking and your loving. That's pretty convicting, isn't it? We're all thinking about the hurtful things we said to our kids in the car on the way here this morning. See, I just drive alone to church every week so I can make that application and not feel guilty. So rightfully, we as the church say we're not saved by works or performance, and that's very biblical. But then it would be unbiblical to say, therefore, our life and our words and our actions don't matter. John says our life and our words and our actions, they're an insight into what we really believe and what we really value and what we really think. So let's ask this question. Can we allow 
a, a true reading of our life to diagnose how we really think, what we really believe, and what we really value. And once you do that hard work, and you're shocked and you're horrified, remember, repentance is always received by the Lord. So we repent. Third, let's understand that sin is always in opposition to the kingdom of God. Let's understand that sin and rebellion is always in opposition to the kingdom of God. So as a Christian, as a true child of God, as one who has the Spirit of God living in me, as one who trusts in Christ, my calling is to follow the King into the work of his kingdom and join him in that work. But it's an imperfect reality because I'm constantly toggling between sin and obedience, between sin and love of the King. And it's just important for us to understand that repentance is not just how one enters the kingdom, but it's how one navigates the kingdom. Every step along the way of following Jesus is marked by turning away from sin and turning to the king, and turning away from sin and turning to the king, and turning away from sin and turning to the king. If you've ever been conditioned to believe that repentance is just for conversion, then I want you to take up John's message again. And I want you to be conditioned that repentance is for living with the Lord. Repentance is for walking in his ways. To say, that was wrong, I turn away from that and I turn to Christ, that is always the way. Now, there's another point that we're not going to get to today. So we'll just have to come back to this very convicting passage again next week. Come on back, friends. So before we leave it, what do we do with our sinfulness? To turn around is to turn somewhere. And frankly, biblically, it's to turn to someone the someone that we're turning to when we turn away from sin is Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the one who brings God's blessings to God's people and to God's earth. So if we turn anywhere else, we're not truly repenting. We're just trading rebellion. But to turn away from sin and death... To Christ is where there is righteousness, forgiveness, hope, and joy that lasts forevermore. Because Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again to fulfill all righteousness on behalf of his people. Just so you know, I'm not making that up. That's right there in verse 15. So the, the message of John was always intended to drive people to Jesus, the King. And I want this message today to drive us all to Jesus, the King. So this day, would you consider Jesus? 
Would you consider that perhaps he indeed is the true son of God, whom the one true God sent into the world to make himself known and to reveal his good ways of blessing to the world? Would you consider this Jesus? And as you consider him, would you consider that your life is more than any of us are comfortable talking about, marked by rebellion and sin against that God? And would we heed the warning of John to turn away from said sin and cling to Jesus for said deliverance? And when I think about Redeemer, when I think about the people who worship here, I don't look at a list of names and go, hypocrite, not really redeemed, just faking it, need salvation, hope he gets baptized next year. I look at a list of people and I see loves the Lord, imperfect, committed to Jesus, navigating a fallen world. And I want us to understand that Jesus lived and died and rose again so we don't have to fear repentance. We can repent freely because Christ has already taken away the sting of it. Christ has already taken away the sting of it. It's kind of like, you know, I parent kids. If you want them to be really honest about something, just promise them no punishment before you ask the question. Like, hey, I'm going to ask you this question. And I'm going to promise you that no matter what the answer is, I'm not going to punish you. Man, you'll get a fountain of honesty just flowing out. I'm not saying we can always do that as parents. But in some ways, Christians, what we're believing is the Lord's already forgiven us and accepted us and taken away the penalty of our sin and death. So let's be the people who don't act like our faith is having it all together and always being right and never failing, but rather our faith is made up of the people who can confess all of our shortcomings because we know our Savior overcomes them, has overcome them for us. You know how to commend Jesus to a lost and dying world? Show a Jesus that you don't have to fear every morning when you wake up. And show a Jesus that you can confess your shortcomings and instead of squashing you like a bug, he will forgive you and love you and welcome and accept you. That might be the winsome witness that the world really needs. And you know what, friends? In spite of all your heritage, that might be the winsome witness that you need today. God's not out to get you. God just wants to make you ready for the king. So our Father and our God, As much as this message today is true and biblical, as much as it's something that you would affirm, Lord, we plead that you would take these words and cause your people to believe them, cling to them. Lord, we're thankful for your son. In him we trust. We're thankful for the work of your spirit. Move through us. Lord, we we praise you. We love you. We run to you. Please work in this room now, we pray in Jesus' name.